Welcome to Bonehead. I should never just ever say that. Yeah, I was going to say, hey, um, have y'all seen my belt? No. James? Did it Dunlop? Can't find it. Don't know where it is. Looked all over for it today. Can't find my belt. Well, I'll tell you what, next time I see you, I'll belt you one. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, all I can say is Isaac, Isaac Newton, Isaac Newton, Isaac Newton has been proven to Isaac Newton's proven to be a quack. No, I just literally you had no transition, so I was like, "Hey, hey where's my belt? Can't find it." Hope y'all have an answer. So I don't. I so why the hell am I talking just to you? Just as pointless as a story is that I broke my belt that last day I was in work in March. I walked around the last meeting holding my damn pants up, coming back up the hill with one hand. How do you break a belt? It just broke. Oh, uh, I broke a belt. Oh, it happens all the time. At least every six months to a year. Anyway, so they've only done it once before. It's broke several times. There's a lot to hold back. Now, broke it. Don't need what a. What the hell's your belt? What the hell is your belt made out of? Twine? What? I buy cheap. Yes, belt. it's a That's Jethro belt. What the hell? Now, Good Lord, listen, shut up. You don't know. You don't know. <laughs> you don't know. You don't know his story. You don't know. I've had the same belt for almost 15 you. years. I don't want. I don't give a shit with your white privilege. <laughs> shut the fuck up. Let me talk. Now, well, look at me. I'm I'm Chad. I buy store bought belts. Whatever. Look at me. Oh, my God. Yeah, always had it easy. So, moving right along. I went to get one, finally, as things started to open up. And I realized either everyone, A, lost a lot of weight, which I don't think. They probably actually gained weight, was what I meant to say. Or all the fat people hanged themselves with belts because there were no belts in the store, the two stores I went to. Or they're really kinky. Hey, hey. So David so David Carradine. All the fat people. So what you're telling us is is that you got a no belt prize. Uh, I found an old uh, one and doing that one. I mean using that one. Using that one. So our <laughs> topic today is westerns, and here's the problem with the. I'm glad we're finally. Well, for, doing it, yeah, I, I can't believe we've never and we never thought about it. Like I brought it up I what it a up. month ago. Oh, well, you never brought it up, but yeah. I mean, so we, I think of a lot of shit, Chad, and it goes out in one ear and out the other. Huh. Who said that? Huh? Huh? No. So go on. Go on no. with your, your, your... But Westerns, back to belts. Like my belts, there's many, many... I'm starting to start quoting Police Academy. Sergeant I really... Out yeah. Many, many wonderful belts, and there's been many, many wonderful Westerns. And picking three is a pain in the ass. Yeah, I was thinking I maybe like we, maybe we, maybe we need to do a two-parter on this because I really I have a list of sixteen, and I and that, even then I had to narrow oh, it down. 16? And he, I yeah, oh, man, at least yeah. I narrowed it. I mean, I could talk all day, but I at least narrowed it down to four that you you could pry away from my cold dead hands. Well, no, I got I, I picked out those. I picked out my three. Okay. But then I'm just like, oh, man, I want to talk about this one, too. Oh, no, I want to talk about this one. And I'm just like, maybe we maybe we need to do a two-parter on Westerns because there's just so much on our list. So, Chad, you're the one who likes Westerns the least out of the three of us? Okay, no. so correction on that. You're, you're sort of right. I'm asking a question, yeah. No, I know. You're sort of right. You're sort of right. So I'm going to be honest. I hated Westerns as a kid and as a teenager. You know, it was the only thing my dad would watch other than Matlock, Unsolved Mysteries, um, Green Berets, and um, – But he Amer- went out uh, America- the belt every other day. Yeah, and America's Most Wanted. 
that was all he ever watched and it just served no interest to me um and then i and it's not on my list there was one movie that actually turned it around for me and made me start watching westerns and, and loving them and i'm a huge fan of westerns it's one of my favorite genres today but no growing up you know even i would say uh as, as a late teen i started to respect them and then in my mid-20s is when i really became a huge fan of westerns oh what's the one that changed you unforgiven unforgiven okay yeah yeah it, I, I watched it and i could not take my eyes off the tv okay oh. And I was about to say, I, I, my story's a little bit different than Chad's because I always liked you didn't westerns. Get any belts. I li no, that's true. It's true. I, there were no belts. I, the only time I got a belt. Get out there, fat ass. You don't need a belt. Them fat ass ought to hold them pants up. I was about to say, the only time I got a belt is. The only time I got a belt is if I had the sass mount. <laughs> you got uh, a belt anyway. and a gag. Uh, anyway, um, but no, the. the uh, I, I liked westerns, but I only liked certain ones. But my father was somewhat similar, except he didn't like any of those other shows. Like yeah. for dad, it was Mash, uh, Star Trek reruns, and that's where I got that from. Though my dad said I took it way too far. Right. Uh, and, and westerns, and if it was a western from Lust in the Dust to whatever, Dad would sit down and watch it. He watched a lot of crap. I don't know, and I, I was saying about this, we probably should have called up C. Courtney Joyner and asked him for his top ten too. Well, maybe that's what we'll do for the second one. Because I think that's one of the things, because I actually want to know the name of this Western. I'm like, God, I'd have to know a Western film historian because the movie starts out with a guy whose job it is to basically go to saloons and enter the, uh, empty their uh, bedpans. Uh, you know, because you, they just put a bucket in the room basically back in the, And I, the first time I watched it, my dad was watching, he goes, yeah, I guess that would be how that happened. <laughs> yeah, to, to you non-historians, the Old West didn't have flushable toilets. They had oh, you know, toilets, though. They just didn't have the plumbing. They hadn't, It was like, well, we've got the socks. <laughs> They're still trying to figure out the profit parts. No, no. So toilet paper got invented. And you're like, what the hell do we do with this? <laughs> That's true. You put in it back West, into the corn cob. Reverse in, engineering, everybody. In the West, no one pooped, ever. It's, we didn't. That was invented in the 1920s. Yeah. That, the, honestly, anyway. honestly, that is one of the biggest things about Westerns that I always hate it is when people go into outhouses, they act like it's perfectly fine. There's no stench. There's nothing. People hide out in, in outhouses and they don't even look down in the fact that there's a big hole. With Raise shit in your it. hand if you've actually used an outhouse. And by the way, I will read out to our audience who's, who is listening. Hold who on. Well, used an outhouse. Doesn't porta potties hey. technically count no, as an outhouse? No, a porta potty no. does not. An actual built wood outhouse. I'd ever have. Uh, <laughs> I knew it. I knew it because he had the belts. He didn't need an outhouse. No, no, that belt held it all in. There's two of us. That would be James and, and Joe. In all fairness, I'm the, only one, I'm the only one of us who didn't live through the Depression. This is a true story. My, my yeah, but our depression's like, it's now. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, I'm depressed, but not the, the, the actual Depression. My grandparents I'm put, in, uh, put in indoor plumbing before, well before I was born. But it was an early oh my 1970s. God, what's this got to do? Yeah, we got to. No, no, I want Sam let, the, what I'm getting at is, what's funny about it is, I can remember up until I was probably nine or ten years old, 
there was still an old outhouse on our farm. It was in bad shape, but my aunt said, no, no, I used it when I was young. I'll use it today. And finally, my dad tore it down. He said, I don't know what her deal is. But anytime she would come to visit, she goes, well, I'm going to go see how the old outhouse is. It always, I thought it was the weirdest thing on the planet that she did that. But anyway, I digress. All right. So I have the same similar story as my dad watched Westerns. He wa- it wasn't so much Western movies, although he'd watch Western movies, but I was bombarded with gun smoke. I almost said Blazing Saddles. I didn't mean to say Blazing Saddles. A gun smoke, a wagon, wagon trail. For me, it was Bonanza. For me, it was, a, it was Bonanza. For me, it was Bonanza. The Virginian. So a lot of times when I'm listening to Tarantino, I actually, when he's referencing some of these Western shows, um, what, what Have Gun Will Travel. Yeah. My dad loved Have Gun Will Travel and The Rifleman. Rifleman. Like the Rifleman. It was God, the rifleman. If it was on, you best not call. Oh my God! It's a western show. He would watch it. Not, I mean, he watched westerns, the movies. But I mean, if it was a show, I have seen a lot of western shows. So I was bombarded with it, and and like Chad, did not care for it. I don't know what. I can't tell you when, but I know since my teenage years, I knew that certain western films were just fantastic. And really yeah. quick, before we start our picks, I'd like to talk just a little bit about Lawrence Kasdan is the guy that wrote The Big Chill. Well, he also directed The Big Chill, uh, Empire Strides Back. He's one of the writers of, writers of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And he said that the Western is the most versatile movie. I think it's a horror film, but he is really set up. Sorry, I got a little off track, but he is correct. Tarantino, to add to that, said the Western is the one genre film that Hollywood makes that best represents what decade it was made in. The values of that society, what's going on in that society, where, where we're at as a culture, nobody, no other genre, the musical doesn't do it, the action film doesn't do it as much, the Western represents that decade better than any other genre in Hollywood. What do you guys think about that? I think he's uh, absolutely perfectly I, correct. I think that's yes and no mind. because you know James, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I, I will agree for the most part. But at the same time, this last decade, did we really have a lot of great westerns? And we didn't it, have did a lot. Really... Well, yeah, we had one from we had a couple from Tarantino, and one in particular. I'm blanking it on be one of Tarantino's best films, but I think it pretty much summed up what we're going through. As far yeah. as not trusting one another, racism, uh, the divide between beliefs of cultures, our society. Um, and, you know, you're saying that right right now. And as you were saying that, I thought of one. I'm looking it up because it's not on my list. But, um, yeah, there is one that perfectly encapsulates and captures the last decade. And go ahead with your comments, y'all. So that would be, yeah, I I don't even know that he intended to do it because I watch it. And I, like I tell you, I, I – it's clear what the hell's the name of his damn western the hateful eight hey boy late to me is a remake of a thing but i watch it and then all that shit started coming out right at the same time just like where we were watching the watchman show which we all three love and highly recommend yes that was written and was in production i'm not saying all this stuff wasn't going on but it almost like a soothsayer am i right yeah, I mean they're almost Nostradamus if you're watching the, the Watchmen of what's happened in the last six to nine months. Yeah, and by the way, the movie I couldn't come up with from the last decade was The Homesman. Tommy Lee Jones is The Homesman. Yeah, so that's the one. Hey. With the dead, 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's and by the way, if you haven't watched the Homesman, and most people it, haven't, I don't. Most think of you haven't. Like, that's you what can, I haven't seen. You can check yeah, it out. All I'm all I'm going to advise you all before before you watch it. It's dark. It's depressing, and it will put you in a bad spot. That being said, it's a good movie. There's a couple. By the way, there's a couple. There's something about westerns, and I know some people say you know romance comedy or not comedy, but romance. You know, tragic romances. I think there's also something about westerns that can, in film, embody hopelessness somehow. I, I and I've got an example that is on my list because, and I, maybe it goes back to that decade thing. But there were uh, there was one movie that I remembered watching, and I went back to rewatch it before we filmed this. Matter of fact, actually, I finished it about forty minutes ago, a rewatch of it, and I literally watched it, going, "Oh man, that is a great film. I need to find some uh, a, a knife so I can cut myself to see color again." I yeah. mean, it can be a there's something about the Holmesman will do that for you, and I, I think there's something about the Western. That I remember does being that, that depressed. Oh man, there's some there's there's some rough spots in that one. It's the it's with the sisters, right? It's with all the all the women in that movie. Yeah, no, Every no. Single story. Are they sisters? No, they're not sisters. They're just women who lived in, women? in. Oh, because yeah. yeah, they're they're not they're widows. I'm so yeah. sorry. No, they're not widows either, Joe. <laughs> I need to go watch the Homesman again. Yeah, yeah. I know uh, for for, they, for, for those who, doesn't all work out for them. By the way, yeah, all, all I can tell you, the Homesman is about a woman who hires Tommy Lee Jones who's, you know, basically, you know, no good bum of a, of a cowboy to transport three women who have been mentally damaged to a sanitarium. So, yeah, um, it's Which, rough. If you know anything about the Old West, they were known for their well-meaning sanitariums. Yeah. All right. So who so, wants to go first? Or, I'm, I'm going to go. If you all are okay, I'm going to go first. And uh, Joe, I'm going to apologize if this is on your list, but... I struggled. I, 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 I was not going to bring this because I thought you would put it on your, your list, but then I didn't want to risk you not doing it. Um, this is my favorite Western of all time. And it's an allegory oh. of a specific time in history. High noon, 1952. It's not. It's not. Uh, I was hoping somebody is, else had put it because that's the reason why I said I could talk about Westerns for the next yeah. episode. Yeah. I, you know, I normally put in a gag when into, and you know, do, do some of the lesser ones, but high noon. I don't even have blazing saddles on mine and it's a Western. It's, it, yeah. And it's, it's one not of my on, favorite movies of all time. Same here. That's not on my list. Just can't. There's but high noon, I had to put high noon on my list because it is my favorite Western of all time. And, and, that, I, and, and Gary that, Cooper represents something that did actually it probably didn't exist at the time. <laughs> right. And, well, you know, it honestly, did, it did. It did. It, and so, it did you know, people didn't talk. So what High Noon is, um, uh, it's 1952. Um, it's directed by Fred Zinneman, who also directed From Here to Attorney, Day of the Jackal. And I kind of wanted to punch a wall uh, when I found out he directed Oklahoma. I hate Oklahoma. That's where the wind comes sweeping down the plane. I, uh, it was written by Carl Foreman, which I've got some interesting history about Carl Foreman, who wrote. I'm assuming Guns you get into the Red Scare eventually. Yes, I'm getting there. Guns of Navarone. He wrote Guns of Navarone and Bridge of River Kwai. Bridge on the River Kwai. Um, it starred Gary Cooper, the amazing Grace Kelly. Uh, I'm going to name off a few, but go look at the list of actors who are in this. It's amazing. Uh, Gary Cooper, Grace Kelly, Lloyd Bridges, Lon Chaney Jr., mm -hmm. Lee Van Cleef, and Harry Morgan. Um, 
just to give you a brief synopsis of the movie, it's about a, it's about a sheriff who is in a, in a in a in a town, and he finds out that this man he put away has been released, and he's coming with his gang to kill him. Yep. At noon. Yep. Simple plot. And boom. the movie's only ninety minutes long. It's only ninety minutes long. Right. I don't. Yep. I don't even have to look it up. I'm almost positive it's yeah. right. Almost right on the ninety. Uh, before I get to what Joe was talking about, I do want to mention a couple other things before we get to the big the big aspect of what High Noon was. Um, the movie was actually revitalized Gary Cooper's career. He was I actually on the down. Do that. Yeah, he was on the downslope. Um, his 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 big his big time in Hollywood was at at an end, and then this what gave and him part a of that was because of Cary Grant, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, so uh, Cary Grant fan. That's an yeah. interesting fact. I didn't know, guys. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, honestly, this is one of those instances where if this was made today, somebody like Gary Cooper would not be in it, which is a travesty. What in my happened? opinion. It would, it, would be, it, would be some, it would be some hot actor in his – probably in his early 40s, maybe late 30s. It wouldn't be – Mason. It wouldn't be Gary Cooper, who was – I think he was in his 50s at the time this movie was shot. Um, uh, this was also the first movie in history because I, wa- I want to follow up uh, with an episode that we just did. Uh, this movie is also the first time in history where a theme song was marketed separately from the movie itself. Uh, the song was Do Not Forsake and was sung by Tex Ritter. Does oh, Tex Ritter sound familiar? Yeah, because he, he fathered that one bastard. Yeah, he fathered the late, great John Ritter. Yep. Um, who in who, turn fathered that other Ritter? Josh Ritter? Yeah, yeah. I think it yeah, is yeah. Josh or something. Yeah, Josh. He's an actor. No, he's, a, and he's, he's done some good stuff. Uh, but no, uh, Gregory Peck actually turned down the lead for this movie. Really? Uh, yeah, Gregory Peck, for those that don't know, is uh, Spock's grandfather. <laughs> Ethan I'm Peck plays to... Spock. Don't argue with me. It's true. Uh, and uh, just like Bill Murray with Who Framed Roger Rabbit, uh, Gary Coop, uh, Gregory Peck turning this down was actually called, he calls this the biggest regret of his career. Um, uh, Gary Cooper, uh, another interesting fact about this, uh, they made him wear very little makeup because the director thought his natural wrinkles and, and, and lines from old age expressed his natural sense of dread at what was coming in yep, that movie. I agree. Now let's get, let's get into the bigger history of this. Um, this movie was actually an allegory uh, for what was going on in the 1950s, which Joe. It's a metaphor. Had. I'm just joking. Uh, What's a metaphor? It, it was a failure for some, it was a failure. It's to talk about talking about. Oh, uh, it, it's an allegory for the failure of some people in the Hollywood community to stand up against the House Un-American Activities Committee, otherwise known as HUAC. Um, you know, it was a lot. It was the McCarthy era where people were being blacklisted because they of a suspected communist tie. Some people were being taken away from their jobs, their lives, for as little as attending a, a, a minor communist meeting in the 1920s, 30 years ago. We're not even doing anything at all. Just somebody trying to save their neck and they got their name put down on a list That's and right. their lives were ruined. Uh, Carl Foreman himself was actually blacklisted for refusing to give names. Um, and he actually left the country. He fled to England because of what the, the, the crap he was getting for during the making of High Noon. Yep. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, Somebody else, uh, I know, I don't know if he's going to show up on your all's list. Um, there's actually only one movie of this gentleman uh, who I actually like, 
uh, and I'm not going to talk about it today, but Gary John Wayne actively hated this movie and did everything in his power to ruin it. Wouldn't surprise me, but John Wayne's uh, one of mine. Yeah, I figured as much. I figured you might have been yeah. in both of your alls. I'm not. I, Hard I, not I, to. Hard not I, to. Well, he's in uh, he's in one of my favorite westerns of all time. I didn't put it on the list because there was two others I want to talk about. Um, but I'm not out of the three of us. Uh, I am not a John Wayne fan. I have never understood the appeal. And after I found out the history of that asshole, I just I can't get behind him. Uh, never have been able to. I, and that's the, that's the entire the thing. Art, I, not the artist. Yeah. I was gonna say, and that's it. Separate the art from the artist. And, that's and I try. I, I try, but every time I watch him, I Plus, think of everything. You know, to be ma- honest, it's, the man it's, left his wife of five of who had five kids because he wanted to go with Marlene Dietrich because she was boring in bed. Yeah, and, Marlene you know, Dietrich and, was. And they're, no, I did, no, I would never wife. have thought that about Marlene. <laughs> I, I mean, not, I, uh, I, I'd give her. I mean, but no, I, uh, no, I, I could go on and on about all the shit. And this is one of the things is he was so uh, he was all about anti-communism um, yeah. that he ruined a lot of people's lives. Uh, actually one of my movies that i'm going to talk about the movie that i chose for him because i had to pick a john wayne that i'll get to in a little bit but he actually he had worked with one of his co-stars before and when they were promoting this particular movie one of the co-stars went well i like the duke i just think he goes a little bit too far and from that comment he never spoke to that actor again the actor tried to contact him on his deathbed and he still went i won't talk to it yeah no, uh, but no I'm the actor. I'll, I'll t- you'll find. Yeah, he'll out get to it. Uh, but no, I just let's finish talking about High Noon because I'm spending a lot of time on it. No, it's just a really good film. If you haven't watched it, please take 90 minutes out of your day, find it, and watch it. Just the growing sense of of these people are coming to kill him, and how it's impacting this small little uh, country uh, western town. And Gary Cooper's performance is amazing. And even and and, he you could know, run. Yeah. He could run. He could he run, does. but he chooses not to. And people he don't want to help. And yeah, nobody yeah. wants to help. He wants to stand his ground because that's the right thing to do. And yeah. it's an amazing film. I mean, it's, it's been ripped off. I was going to say, Chad, if you like that, there's a movie that kind of inspired that. It's called Outland. <laughs> it stars Sean Connery. I hate you. I hate you. Outland with Sean Connery. It it's, also it's- has the wonderful Peter Boyle. I'll, I'll watch you, that. you know, I'll, I'll, I'll put that on my list after Zardoz. I've seen do Zardoz. Not, do not besmirch Zardoz. I've got it on DVD over here. Good for you. I've never seen it. You oh. should. Oh. I and will eventually. Tell me the plot. Yeah. I'm sure there's I could give one, you a no. spoiler that would ruin the movie for you really quickly. And it's in the title. I can't, I can't stress enough how great Hal Noonan is. High Noon. Hal Noon. Hal Noonan. I went to school with Hal Noonan. <laughs> All right, who's up brother, next? Brother James? Tom. You know, I, I've gotten this. I'm going to take some time on this one, and I apologize, but I actually love this movie, and I fell down a rabbit hole because I started to research it to talk about it. And I can tell you literally, it's a movie that I can quote a couple lines from. I love it so much. It's one that my dad liked, and, and, and it was one that he watched that I kept getting, like, he would watch. It was on TBS all the time, or TNT, and he would just, every time I thought, like, oh, this is on, we'll watch this again. And so I just was exposed to it, but it was one that I never got tired of. That being said, to prepare for this episode was the first time that I ever started to look up information about it, such as who wrote the thing. And Joe, you may know this, Chad, you may know this, but. I don't know. You won't tell me the movie. 
I'm not going to tell you the movie. I want to start with it because the guy that wrote it <sighs> is named Ernest Tidyman. Do you know who Ernest Tidyman is? He worked in my bowl. Yeah, I was okay. going to say, he liked to clean a lot. Ernest Make Tidyman sure everything... dropped out of high school or dropped out of school at age 13, 14. To, to, move, to, move, on, to move in with his friend Vern? No, no, no. He had to become, and so his, his dad literally goes, you got to go get a job. If you're going to drop out of school, I'll let you, but you got to go get a job. He got a job at 14 working as a journalist. The dude could write, but he got fired from one of his jobs. He wrote for like an Indiana newspaper and he got fired from his first job as a journalist because he was sent to do the crime beat, which basically was, you know, he's a young reporter. They basically say, go get the statement from the police, take the police report, write up the article, right? Well, he went to the scene of the crime, getting a statement from the police and this jewelry store had been robbed bam robbed and he looks over the things are smashed there's a couple things left in it and he literally sees a gold watch sitting there police aren't really paying attention this doesn't sound goes, like a western oh no he literally looks down and he goes huh okay and he grabs the watch puts it on he loses his job as a journalist because he's like well they've already been robbed or <laughs> is this going to hurt him worse he stole a gold watch doing that Went on to be a journalist, ended up getting hired by the New York Times, all of that stuff. He gets tired of being a journalist, so he decides, you know what, I'm going to start writing. And he goes, I sense a change in this city. This city is changing. And, and I'm in New York now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to write a story about how New York is different. And so he wrote a, a, a novel called... I'm gonna, somebody get my hammer. Called Shaft. <laughs> Okay. Ernest Tidyman, if you look him up, when they met with the, they said, we want to meet with the author because he submitted his, it started as a novel. He submitted, they wanted to make it into a movie and they had to meet with him. And they thought, oh, Ernest Tidyman, probably an African-American. Look him up. He looks like Mr. Mr. Belvedere. Joe, like he man, hasn't mentioned the movie yet, right? I, I just want to make sure I haven't mentioned, forgot something. I, I, shit, I don't. He care. wrote Shaft. He co-wrote. No, wait, wait. He wrote what? He, he wrote, wrote what? Shaft. You're damn right. Yeah. Well, by the way, he wrote all the Shaft novels. Do you know how many Shaft novels there are? And he no, wrote them within three years. Seven. Shaft, Shaft Among the Jews. Shaft's Big Score. Shaft Had the Ball. Goodbye, Mr. Shaft. Shaft's Carnival of Killers and The Last Shaft. All of them between 1970 and 1975. While he was writing this, though, he decided he wanted to write a Western. And he wanted to write a Western that was different. But he also got a job writing the screenplay for a little film, co-writing the screenplay for a little film called The French Connection. And while he's writing that, he wrote... This cup, this cup, full of tacks. I have one of those. Well, you, we, No, you we, gave this one to me. Why, oh, why you, you steal that, you son of a bitch? <laughs> why don't you tell us more? That's my Batman AMC um, I was going to say... It, at the AMC. It's keeping your oh, copy of the fall... It's keeping your copy of the fall from falling off the shelf. You fucker. Uh, <laughs> So anyway, he and Isaac Hayes both won Academy Awards at the same time. Isaac Hayes won it, of course, for his soundtrack for Shaft. He won it for the French Connection. And it, he decided then that he would write his Western, High Plains Drifter. Oh, thank God. High Plains Drifter. That's your number one? Uh, I love High Plains Drifter. And it's because it's not really a Western. It's an allegory. It's com I mean, it is a Western, but it's, a, it's completely allegorical. I mean, it could be, you could consider it a horror film, too. It can be a horror film. And that's what I mean. It's What do you want to bring to it? So he was, and the casting on this film, Clint Eastwood directed and starred in it. 
there's a rape scene in that movie that you could never get away with today. That's what I mean. It is a dark film. And at it the end of it, scene. though, at the end of it. It ends with a joke. Yes. It ends with, and then it keeps coming up. Mm-hmm. I mean, at one point, somebody says something like, she's really mad at you, and maybe she wants more. That's it. That's the joke. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it is just everything about it is terrible. But at the end, there is also a question of, and nobody deserves anything per se, but this town's completely terrible. And what they allowed to happen. And, you know, again, you can look at it as a horror movie. It, it doesn't, never, it never says completely what happens or who the stranger is. Um, but it's just, uh, it's, it's a film where a stranger rides into town. You know that the sheriff was beat to death and the townspeople let it happen. You know, it's kind of a, this is getting off a little off topic, but uh, Lars Van Trier's Dogville is kind of a first cousin to that movie. I never thought about it two years, and I don't know why it finally clicked, but they're they're both completely different stylistically. Neither one's a Western, Mm -hmm. but they're first cousins about just shit towns that. Oh, they're all terrible. And that's right here on the top. Oh, it's fine. And then you get down, it's like these are just look, dig into the horrible, horrible people. This, so, the, the brief summary of it is a stranger rides into town and he he ends up, he does, I mean, literally, as Joe says, one of the first thing he does is commit a rape. Yeah, there's a rape scene. Um, the and then he kills somebody and the town starts to beg him to stay, though, even though they know, hey, he did a terrible thing because they know that four gang members that yep. they help send away are coming back and they want somebody that will stand up to them, and they're all too cowardly to do it and so they want him to stay and he makes a deal with them saying i will stay but i get whatever i want and you will not say anything to me one of the uh at the way one i just point, looked up ernest tidyman god dang it he does look like mr Belvedere. <laughs> I, dude seriously if, if you said if you pictured the author of shaft and then you <laughs> saw that guy i anyway, would not have pictured that but uh so he literally takes over the town he he kicks kicks everybody out of the hotel he makes the hotel his own he literally takes he there is a uh somebody that suffers from dwarfism is in the town he makes that person the sheriff and the mayor just to spot the sheriff and the mayor he turns everything around he literally has them paint the entire town red so it will look like hell Hell. and when the the gang comes back does he stop them yeah technically. and the leader is played by jeffrey lewis right lewis yes juliet lewis's father um but was in a ton and we and we all know his best film double impact jean-claude van damme I was going to. Anyway. I was going. To, I was going to say the lawnmower man. <laughs> oh yeah, Jeffrey Lewis. It also has Robert Donner. If you're a Western fan, a lot of westerns had Robert Donner in them. He was in yep. Rio Bravo, Rio Lobo, El Dorado, Chisholm, The Undefeated, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valley. He's, it's so he, so Clint Eastwood brought Western royalty, quote unquote, to this film. But it is a very dark film, and and again, you can if you want to play the supernatural, you can. There are some people that say it's not. But it is open to interpretation, and it is a... It does uh, not have a definitive ending or explanation. No. But at the end of it, he rides out of town the exact same way he rode in. Yep. And that's there is something that just completes that cycle for me. It is a dark little Western. And, and again, Joe's right. Much like Dogville, it's, you, you keep thinking, oh, somebody's going to be good. Somebody's going to do something. 
and it ain't in that movie. So when we were talking about, is it my turn? Can I go? Sure. Is that okay? Uh, do you do you want to go now, Joe? Let's let's actually, real, this. real quick. Let me throw out one. I knew uh, it wasn't my turn, Chad. No, I, I, I actually I wasn't going to do this, but since he says it's my turn, I'll interrupt. Uh, there is a line in the movie that I really like, uh, or an exchange. Sarah Belding. I got uh, a really bad joke. I can't, because if we did get famous, it would come back to haunt me. Who? Uh, who? Don't who do it. Be, I'm not going to do it. Uh, Remind me later. <laughs> Sarah Belding, who may or may not be a victim of a certain act, says, "Be careful. You're a man that makes people afraid, and that's dangerous." And the stranger response is just great because it's it's what people know about themselves inside that makes them dangerous, makes them afraid. And again, it's just as you go into this movie, everybody in this town is terrible. Yeah. All right. So mine's a real easy one because I'm having a shit time with this. I could have split up. We could have just talked about, we could have talked about the Spanish and Italian Westerns. We could have talked about the Mexican Westerns. We could have spent a whole episode on the Westerns just made in the seventies that are all about anti-government and how much we hate Nixon. Right. That's back to what I was saying about Westerns being Tarantino's right of being a perfect representation of whatever decade they're made of. For example, Chad's being, that's a perfect representation of what's going on with I like Ike era of the 50s, right? Of Eisenhower. Right. Perfect representation. Rio Bravo is another one. But as much as I love Rio Bravo, I can't pick it because this one was stars a son of a bitch. And it's directed by maybe somebody who's even a bigger son of a bitch than that son of a bitch is. <laughs> Third degree? Oh, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> but I never really thought of Joe as a son of a bitch. Any- I, actually, I meant to say murder virgin in third degree. Came yeah, out. yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, John. <laughs> there is not a prettier Western than John Ford's The Searchers. There is not a prettier, more Welsh. Uh, well shot as far as that frame now i'll get to one later that's probably better and by the way i just want i want to emphasize i didn't think this is where you were going to go really yeah i've got it i've got man i've got four but i'm going to narrow it down to three because i'm hoping one one of you will take so i could just make this easier for me i'm going to be honest with you my last two i didn't take any of yours yeah so the searchers is one of the few times John Ford made so many Westerns and so many great films. He won Best Director a couple of times. I mean, we're talking about My Darling Clementine, uh, Ford Apache, Stagecoach, which is the movie Orson Welles watched every night on loop while he was making Citizen Kane to learn how to make movies, gentlemen. Stagecoach. John Ford was the man. But John Ford was a son of a bitch with a terrible, terrible temper. This is the man that not only yelled at John Wayne all the time, and one of the few people John Wayne, by the way, took it from. He said John Wayne couldn't act, right? Get to that in a second. Oh, I apologize. He also would yell at people like Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. If you don't know who Jimmy Stewart is, imagine Tom Hanks. Subtract 50 years what it was like 50 years ago, 75 years now. That was the I, Tom Hanks of his time because I, Tom Hanks now hears he's the Jimmy Stewart of his time. Joe, I, 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 I want to give you applause on that. I want to give Joe applause on that because I never made that connection. 
I always Ever. said. Are you, I always, shocked? But the, Are you being sarcastic? I'm, I'm being 100% serious. I never thought of Jimmy Jim, Stewart as a Tom Hanks in that era. And that's, Jim, I, I never heard that's it. That's the way I – except I like Jimmy Stewart more. Sorry, Tom Hanks. I'm sure you're <gasps> listening to this. Uh, I said, don't know. Jimmy Stewart is a great, <sighs> is a great actor, but Jimmy I don't know. Tom Stewart. Hanks is probably a better actor. Tom, but, Tom as Hanks about yelling, As you're talking about uh, yelling at – on top of that, Jimmy Stewart was a veteran. Oh, World War II veteran, whereas John Wayne and his sons – Never freaking served. Right. Never. No, I'm just. I'm reading Dick I, I Cavett's it, book, and Dick Cavett says the one as much as he loved John Wayne, the Duke. People who knew him call him the Duke. Dude. And as much as he loved John Wayne, it's the one question he never asked. I'm reading Cavett's second book, or his book, the last book he wrote in the last ten years. It was the one. And by the way, Dick Cavett was a guy who basically invented podcasting 50 years ago on a television show of just having a conversation instead of just mm -hmm. asking questions. There was a conversation. Mm -hmm. He's also a very smug son of a bitch. Oh, but he's hilarious he too. Use. He plays her. Her for people who don't know who that is, and the wife's uh, agent. That's Dick Cavett. Okay. Anyway. So Dick Cavett said the one thing he regretted was not asking John Wayne. So, yeah, but you or your sons have never served. But, but, but I just want to point that out. Like, so, so John Ford is yelling at Jimmy Stewart. And by the way, John Ford kind of did serve. Chad could talk about that for 45 minutes mm -hmm. in his way. And what he was doing. Of course, he was a little older by World War II standards and times anyway. But he still put in the work. He still put in the work and he went overseas. So, Anyway, back to what I was saying, John Ford, this is the only time John Ford directed Stagecoach. She wore yellow ribbon. My How Green Is My Valley. We're not going to talk about all those. We're just going to talk about the searchers. And real quick, he said about John Wayne in the searchers, this is a famous line, look it up, I never knew the son of a bitch could act. Is it John Wayne's best performance? It is to me. I don't know. Some people say it's the shootest which was his last film. He does yeah. die in that. Some people like she wore a yellow ribbon. I like it because it's one of the, or the one where he played Genghis Khan. <laughs> That's not the conqueror. Don't, I don't remember the title. I've actually never, I've only, I've seen never seen the Dookie. I've never seen, I've never seen the Dookie in the conqueror. I've, I've seen the conqueror. I bought right. my dad one year for Christmas. So the searchers is about a guy named Ethan, who is a son of a bitch. He is one of the, I wouldn't say first anti-heroes, but he's the first time probably John Wayne played that much of an anti-hero. And he's a guy whose family, <clears throat> basically it's their cousins or nieces and nephews, James, off the top of your head. Do you remember? I, I I'm, I'm doing this all from memory. doesn't matter. They're, they are killed by Indians while he's gone that night, and they abduct their daughter. And he takes Blanket Head, which is the term he gives Jeffrey Hunter. Jeffrey Hunter is one of the people who's helping him to go on a chase for them over, I can't remember, but it's several years looking for a daughter. Looking so Genghis Khan picks up Captain Pike. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, that's, I was waiting for you to do the illusion. I could have went with Jesus. No, yeah, I was about to say, Genghis Khan picks up Jesus to go look for, <laughs> oh, my God, Natalie Wood. <laughs> It is. It's Natalie Wood. That's who plays her. So to go look for Natalie Wood out in the middle of the um, desert. Now, this takes several years. And what we find out is that Ethan is what? He's a son of a bitch. He's a racist. He's an ageist. He hates people. He hates Indians. There's a scene in the movie. And the fact that they got away with it, which is high noon, got away with a lot of stuff, too. That's, that's what you can do with Westerns and horror films. It doesn't have to be about that, but it is about that. 
is that they find an Indian where they've buried <clears throat> where they've buried their dead after they've shot them. And John Wayne pulls out his pistol and shoots their eyes. And the guys, it's played by Ward Bond. Ward Bond is one of those many, many great character, uh, Western character actors who was in a lot of John Ford films. So John Ford had his, 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 his actors, his stable of people that would show up for every movie. And I could go through a list. And he says, what are you doing, Ethan? You're crazy. And then the guy that plays Moses, Moses says, yeah, but not for what he believes. He just sent him to hell because he shot out his eyes. He won't be able to cross over into the world. John Wayne is such a bastard. He kills him after death. Huh. He's an asshole. And when they finally do find them, and I'm giving not a lot of stuff away because if you haven't seen it, you're probably not going to go out. Most of our audience is probably not going to go out and see it, but you really should because it's beautiful. It's got one of the best opening and closing shots in cinema history. If you rode the Great American Movie Ride at what used to be called MGM and then was Hollywood Studios, you saw it all the time. It would play in a loop when you're waiting to get in there. That and Raiders of the Lost Ark and Singing in the Rain. And it was always that one shot. And it was always Ford's Monument Valley of what he thought the West would look like. <clears throat> he finds Natalie Wood, and guess what? She's been with the Indians for many, many years now, right? So what does that mean? She's become one. He tries to kill her. Jeffrey Hunter stops her. Now we have a little bit of a twist at the end that he finally comes to his senses, but he hates Indians so bad he would kill his blood rather than for her to be an Indian herself. Can, can I make a comment here, by the way? Yeah. No. My dad loves John Wayne. And he hates the movie. He hates, what two movies do, does he hate? He hates the two that you mentioned, The Searchers and The Shootist. The Shootist. Those are the two that he hates. Um, Don Siegel directed the shootest, and and that's one of the reasons that my as my dad always says he goes as as an actor because dad doesn't care about what John Wayne thought or did because but I want him I want my hero to be a hero to be a hero, and he's not and it's great to watch the Searchers now especially where we're almost seventy it's sixty eight years later it came out in fifty two fifty four I can't remember. did you hear Joe just admit his age <laughs> I'm getting there I'm getting gray. I could read the lit class of actors, of the iconic <laughs> actors. Uh, I'm not going to. Please watch The Searchers. Pay attention to it. it. It's amazing that the movie got made. And try to separate the artist from the art. But just to be honest with you, John Wayne was a bastard. John yeah. Ford was a huge bastard. You know, well, uh, you know uh, I'm seriously, I'm, I'm sitting here. John Wayne is not a great human being at all. That's not why I like his. I don't like most of his movies. I just could never get into his way of acting. It's it's not the the man. Chad preferred to miss a It's his player. acting. No, I just could never get Chad into loved it. that movie I just with never OJ. Get into that what was it called? <laughs> Frogman. Capricorn One. There you go. That was the no. that makes um, <laughs> uh, No, it's just the the John Wayne those her way of acting. There's only somebody over there. I just I couldn't your 50 who's gonna laugh at that joke. And I think I I understand what you're saying, Chad. I think one of the th challenges he's not a great actor, but he has green presence like no one else. And I think and he I surrounded himself by people that could bounce off of like Marino O'Hara. Say what you will. She loved that man. She did matter of fact, she made a lot of movies together. Well, mm -hmm. and, and she had a wing of her house. 
until the end that was actually called the John Wayne Wing. And her husband, who was a colonel, uh, I forget his name, was perfectly okay with that. And, and matter of fact, one of my favorite movies she did, she actually said she signed on to it because, well, the Duke's in it. So there was something about him. Some people absolutely adore. They loved him. They loved but, him. And people I, who met him, so a lot of people have met him, even a liberal uh, left-wing propagandist who make movies like they live, like John Carpenter, met him and still liked him. You well, and he, I, I think that's it. I mean, I he wrote a script for his company in the 70s. I think that's one of the, so I, I, so for me, I, I have a couple of John Wayne movies that could have made my list. The one that I picked is just, it's not a great movie, yeah, but it's fun and, and it's memory. It's, it's linked to my dad watching it with me. It was one that he liked and it's memory. So there you go. All right. Yeah, and there's a John Wayne, there's a John Wayne movie who, if we do a part two, is going to be on my list. Um, so I'll, uh, Joe, the are you searchers, good? Mate, yeah, I, I mean, a lot of people say Rio Bravo. I mean, Tarantino would say Rio Bravo. I love Rio Bravo. They both have John Wayne in them. But for me, the greatest American, uh, I don't know, a representation of what I think people think American Western is in that kind of cliche way, I don't know that you get much more than the searchers. <clears throat> I hope the YouTubers are enjoying me having a sneezing fit off, off mic. No, nah, they're just <laughs> listening to that fat guy just go on. No, um, I don't no, go on that much. So my, my the rest, you know, I kind of started off with Hyden, which is, you know, best what one of my the best western of all time in my opinion um and there are a lot on my list that are classic westerns hands down if we do a part two they're going to be i'm going to mention a couple of those however um there was one western i loved as a kid watched it repeatedly um and when you think of westerns you don't think of this but it is indeed a western and uh you know you're both sons of motherless goats Sorry. Three Amigos, 1986. That's your pick? You That's went over pick. Blazing Saddles for three I, I went over Blazing Saddles because I thought if one of you didn't bring it up, it's bit we've already talked about Blazing Saddles ad nauseum. We have not talked about Three Amigos. And in terms of... All the Westerns of all time? In terms of Westerns in my life, I watched Three Amigos in loop as a child. You know what Three Amigos... It was, it was the only... what. What? Plethora. plethora. <laughs> it's a plethora. Do you say I have a plethora? Plethora. <laughs> it's it's <clears throat> you you can't admit that it's not a funny movie. It is I mean a funny it's movie. Speaking of sons and, of bitches, let's talk about John Landis. Yeah. No really. But uh and by the way, during the make of this movie, he was actually going through the court case of the of what happened at the Twilight Zone. He, he, he was through it for many, many years. Yeah, yep. but this was it. This was in the heat of it. No, but um, the three amigos in terms of me, and and this is going to prove what what we were talking about earlier. My list is going to prove how westerns can can be adapted to any genre, and comedy is seen here through Blazing Saddles and Three Amigos. So Three Amigos, real quick. Again, I'm not going to go in. Most of our viewers probably have already know it. But uh, it's just simple. These three out-of-work actors who were were the star of a silent film series called The Three Amigos um, get kicked out of their studio, but then they get hired because the people at this small Mexican town think they're real crime fighters, hire them to come and fight this gang of, of terrible uh, robbers and, and El Guapo. 
um, and and the three act the three actors actually think they're shooting a movie the whole time. Uh, it's really great. Uh, it's directed by John Landis, as Joe mentioned. Stars uh, Steve Martin, Chevy Chase, Martin Short. Uh, I'm going to butcher the guy's name. El Guapo was played by Alfonso Aurora, and and his he henchman. Filmmaker of his own right. Yes, um, and Tony Plana, Pliana, I think is how you say his last name, uh, who played his henchman. Um, it was actually written by Steve Martin, Lorne Michaels, and his only writing credit, gentlemen, Randy Newman. I didn't know. I forgot about Randy Newman. Is that Chad? And I'm forgive me, but I'm almost positive it's actually the second Saturday Night Live movie. Technically, yes, the I believe you also are. littered with Saturday Night Live folks throughout it. Yes, and I believe you are correct on that. I did not get that. I did not look up that fact, but that seems right to me. Uh, Randy Newman's actually the voice of the singing bush. They just altered his voice. I did not know that. That's, by the way, that sequence. Oh, that is. the From Singing Bush to Invisible Swordsman is one of my uh, favorite comedy sequences. I mean, you got to take it away from the movie. I, it's not, it, I like the movie. I probably prefer Spies Like Us slightly better, but you got to take that out. It's one of the best, just bizarre it's Python-esque. It's out of place out of that whole movie. That, it, that doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the movie. That and the animal sing-along scene. Yep. It's all weird, but that scene of the singing bush. The, I guess that, this is this is the singing bush is one of the best delivered lines. Yeah. Oh, my God. That, that whole, whoa. That whole scene. <laughs> Holy I'm shit. Not, if we start doing 3D, of course, James is still asleep. Go ahead. Do your notes there, sister. <laughs> what no I, I was just double checking something i'm so I, i'm actually i i'm i'm getting news i got i got my phone here i got my tablet over here i got anyway go ahead anyway, did you all know the, about your invisible man story did you know this was the far, first starring role for martin short yep i read his autobiography too see i did i did not know that i thought he had been in movies for quite a, a while nope this is his first one nobody uh, it's, and it's his third it's his third best film with, of course, Clifford being his number one. Oh, James, you son of a no, bitch. No, 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 no. What's the three? What's the one we did with Nicholas? Uh, Nick? Uh, three Fugitives. Three Fugitives. That's number one. My, do- my, my wife liked it. I showed it to her last night. Three Fugitives? Yeah. I haven't seen nope. it since it came out. It's not good. <laughs> I, I actually do like Captain Ron. I'm one of the few people who defends Captain Ron. Yeah. John Carpenter went on record to say that's actually his favorite Kurt Russell performance is in Captain Ron. <laughs> Which, if John Carpenter says it, that gives Joe Lee's a reason to like no, it. No, I just like Captain Ron. Everybody's got one of those shit shows they like, and I think Captain Ron, I think Kurt Russell's hilarious. I'm not judging you. As, as our viewers and you all know, I have a long list of those types of movies. <laughs> Captain Ron. But no, did you know who was originally supposed to direct this but turned it down? No. Steven Spielberg. He was going to? He was going to direct it. Or did they want him to? He was going to direct it from what I found and turned it down because he wanted to do a little movie about an alien. E.T. And do you know who? came out in 82. Are you serious? Yes. Look it up. It was re-released in 84. Holy shit, my research might be wrong then. I might have been getting my information from a wrong website. Yeah, I, I Googled They said, oh, the, Chad, the, did you accidentally look, go to screwyouchad.com? Yeah, I, I must have. Yeah, it could have been almost made in 82 and then made four years later. It may, that may have been. 
but it's the research I said this is Steve Martin was originally going to direct, but turned it down to do ET, and his cast was going to be Steve Martin, Bill Murray, and Robin Williams. I would have liked to have seen that movie. Yeah, that was that was the research I found on the website where I was looking at history of, of Three Amigos. Hopefully that's right. If not, viewers, I'm sorry. And I wonder if four years later, I have to figure, I'd like to hear more. And, and if, if you all know anything about movie making, it does take a long time to get a movie made. It, I mean, they, they, here's a great example of this while we're talking about Westerns. One of the best Westerns of all time is something, and I don't know if you all are going to say it. I hope not. It's a TV movie. It's Lonesome Dove. Lonesome Dove is based on a Pulitzer-winning book, yeah. novel, correct? But yeah, actually, movies like- that movie, that book, that book is based on a screenplay that he wrote with Peter Bogdanovich in the 70s that they were going to have Jimmy Stewart, John Wayne in. I don't know if you guys know this or not. And John Wayne was the only thing because Peter Bogdanovich, after the last picture show, was way up here. He did a movie called Last Picture Show and What's Up, Doc? And they're both hits. And he's way up here, and he could have done it. It's going to be a huge Western. And with Larry McMurtry, by the way, who wrote, uh, sorry, Lonesome Dove. And they, that's the screenplay. And they whittled it down to 150, almost 200-page screenplay. And John Wayne was the only one who wouldn't commit. I don't know which character he was going to play. And Peter wouldn't do it. And then 10 years later, Larry McMurtry uh, finally released the novel. And that's where it came from. Just to give you an example of how things work in Hollywood. Yeah. And like I said, Joe may be right. I, uh, maybe my no, I wrong. tell you, it came out in no, 82. The I mean, I, I said that wrong. I said that wrong. Uh, Joe's right. And maybe my research, maybe the place I got this from is wrong. But no, it could have um, happened. I'm know, just curious yeah. what the development would have been over the years. That's, yeah, I'd like to hear the story. But did you know that Orion took this out of John Landis's hands in the edit room? No. Uh, yeah, they took it out of, and it was I mean, heavily. No, they would have the ability. I would have assumed he had final cut on it. It heavily changed the. It heavily changed the tone of the movie, from what uh, the research I have said. And then uh, Tony Plana, and I do like this part of it. Tony Plana, who plays the henchman to El Guapo, who in his own right has some great lines. Mm-hmm. Him and El Guapo feed right off uh, everything. Everything about the casting of that movie is great. Yep. Um, you know, he actually turned down working on Platoon. He was one of uh, Oliver Stone's regulars. As you know, Oliver, Oliver Stone had a tendency to work with the same actors. Uh-huh. Um, was he to, in Salvador? He, uh, yes. I'm sorry. I know. I'm, I'm taking yeah, you Yeah, no, you're right. No, uh, he, he uh, turned down Platoon to play the henchman. Uh, and the only reason he did this is because he knew how difficult of a shoot it was going to be in the Philippines. <laughs> and three... And the three and uh, the three amigos was offering him a stay at a five-star hotel. So he turned down working on platoon for three amigos because of the living arrangements. Stone did not talk to this man for years. Cause as you know, uh, and uh, I think that this is not the only case guys where, where somebody has turned down stone and he did not talk to John, John uh, C. McGinley has McGinley. a similar story. He ended up having to do a cameo in something just to get on his good side. Again, he right? came back. Yeah. He, he basically at the end of fourth, uh, John C. McGinley, because it's he has all his great July, story, right. and he wheels out Tom Cruise in the wheelchair and that's his role. And he yeah, had to fly, uh, so, to fly in to do that because stone told him if he didn't show up, that was it. Yeah, and, and Stone uh, does have a tendency to hold a grudge to people who tell him no. Um, but no, we'll so, tell him yes. We'll do all your movies, no. sir. But at the same time, I am glad he turned down Platoon because Three Amigos would not have been the same without him. So no, it is a, it's a Western. 
it's a comedy western. I would love to know what the different cut was. Man, if we could get Landis on to talk about it. I would love to hear about it as well because I couldn't imagine I've never heard I mean, Landis it, talk about the different cut. I've never and, and tonally, I know about tonally, so much other shit, but I don't know about that. And tonally, it feels like a John Landis film. I don't feel like I was yeah, I agree. I, I agree. I was thinking in the back when I read this, and I wish I could again, I wanted to find more quotes from Landis. I couldn't. But I'm just like Tonally, it feels like a Landis film. How did they change it? Was it a hit? It, I did not look at the. I will. I uh, when James talks, was. I, I think that's another one of those movies that did did okay, and then we just know it because of HBO and whatnot playing it over and over and over. And I don't know it because of HBO. I know it because well, I rented Clue it. Clue is another one that everybody was like, "Oh, Clue," and they love Clue, but Clue came and went and was not a hit at all. I rented it on VHS as a kid, and then I never stopped watching it after I rented it on VHS. Uh, its budget was twenty five million. It grossed to U.S. $39 million. So, so, fair to Midland. Yeah, at opening weekend, it grossed $5,939,000. So, I'm going to, uh, while James is talking, I'm going to look at what opened up number one that weekend, and I will get back with you. So, that is my, my second pick. James, again, go. Yeah. We're taking forever. Yep. I'll be too. It's, it's but, but in all fairness, this is one of those ones where we all have a, a really deep interest in the topic. Yeah. And now you understand. Anything goes wrong, anything at all, your fault, my fault, nobody's fault. Won't matter. I'm going to blow your head off. No matter what else happens, no matter who gets killed, I'm going to blow your head off. One of my dad's favorite, and we watched it time and time again, and uh, was and it's my John Wayne pick, even though every John Wayne purist will roll their eyes at this, but it also has a line that my dad has repeated indirectly to me a couple of different times. You can call me father, you can call me Jacob, and you can call me Jake. You can call me a dirty old son of a bitch. But if you ever call me daddy again, I'll finish this fight. Big Jake. Now, Big Jake has a special place in my heart, though, because it actually does something kind of unique for a Western. It shows the West dying. It has, um, so the, basically the, the two-second plot, too late. Uh, Jacob McCandles is estranged from his wife, Martha, again, played by Maureen O'Hara. This is a film that she's, she's not really in it much. It's a glorified cameo. But I haven't seen it in a long time. I always remember the scene with the peaches. She agreed to do you it. You know what I'm talking uh, about, James? Yes. Where he's yeah. offering his peaches and like, now I got bad teeth. Uh, yeah. Gentlemen, the movie that opened number one on December 14th, 1986, uh, Three Amigos went up against The Golden Child. Oh, yeah. Classic film. My wife Golden loves it. Child, Michael film. Ritchie. Anyway. Um, People would have said Eddie Murphy, but I named the obscure director. But the uh, – uh, so Jacob McCandles is estranged from his wife, played by Maureen O'Hare. She's only in the film a little bit. She sends for him, though, because his grandson, who in the film was actually played by his son, uh, Ethan Wayne, has been taken by Fane. Fane is played by Richard Boone. Uh, have gun, will travel. Um, and she knows that nobody's going to be able to get him back. They want a $1 million ransom, which now would be about $27 million. It's set in 1909, and in the beginning, they show this old-timey footage, um, but it's to show that, you know, there were motorcycles during this time, but there were still horses, too, and John Wayne plays this. He's out of touch. He's, you know, he wants to stick to the Old West. His sons, uh, uh, three of his uh, older children show up. His 
to help him save his grandson. One of them played by his actual son, Patrick Wayne, I believe. Um, and one of them shows up on a motorcycle and, you know, they all have these manufactured guns. He's still using the old one. And it's about him just going to go get his son. Now, what's funny about this, and, and as I did research for this, it actually wasn't supposed to have a lot of a uh, lot of humor in it. It was supposed to be him being very, very dark, almost closer to him and the searchers. He's supposed to just want vengeance on this guy for daring to take his grandson. John Wayne wouldn't film it that way. He said, I want more comedic elements. And, and a lot of uh, film historians argue that comedy actually hurts this film, but I like it the way that it is. Uh, they do have a, they have a loyal Indian scout that goes with them, all of that stuff, and they go, and it does have these, I mean, now we would consider them action one-liners that John Wayne uses throughout of it, throughout it as he goes. Uh, the other one, my, my dad and my uncle used to go back and forth. Every time they would see each other, one of them would say, I thought you were dead, not hardly. <laughs> Um, so it's just this kind of, he, he goes to find his grandson and, and he's going to get him and Richard Boone it plays a great villain, even though he had played a hero before. Yes, Chad. I, I just want to, I want to go more into detail about three amigos. Number one. <laughs> All right, so, you're really sorry. boring the piss out of him. There's just to be no, honest. Sorry. I, I, this is like a double dig because I just couldn't help it. I, I saw it. I wasn't going to say anything, but then I actually, I actually looked up the week of December 12th, 1986. Golden Child, number one. Three Amigos, number two. Number three, Star Trek IV. <laughs> Star Trek IV was a huge hit. Uh, yeah. Number four, Heartbreak Ridge. And number five, An American Tale. Oh, was Five going anywhere or was it just An American Tale? No, it's just American Tale. That All time. right. He hadn't went west yet. Then if you're curious, Crocodile Dundee and Crimes of the Heart. James, continue. So anyway, I, I told you about Ernest Tidyman for my first pick of High Blades Drifter. This film was actually written by the writing team. Uh, I believe hey, they were married. Has couple. James said the movie title yet? Because I wasn't listening. Yeah, he said Big Jake kind of maybe for a half a second earlier, but it's, okay, it's not one of the. It's I'm with the most of them. Yes, it's an enjoyable film. Dick Boone, oh. wonderful as a villain. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it. You pick Big Jake. I told you, this is the one my dad liked it because it was, it was lighthearted. It was all those things. And dad didn't like his John Wayne series. He did. I mean, he wanted it to be action, but he wanted him to just, he's going to get his grandson back. That's what he's going. And guess what? Spoiler. He does. It kind of ends well, except for Richard Boone. Uh, um, this was the film though. Uh, so it was written by Harry Julian Fink and Rita M. Fink, and if those names sound familiar, I'm shocked. However, if you're a cinephile, uh, they went to work with Terrence Malick and John Milius and Joe Hine. If you're a cinephile, you should register with your local government. Uh, uh, with uh, To make a little film called Dirty Harry, and then they worked again with John Wayne on Cahill U.S. Marshall. Um, interestingly enough, you all may actually find this interesting, Joe, do you know their backup plan if Richard Boone turned it down, who they had in line to play? The... No, but I'm glad your research actually showed that Milius wrote Dirty Harry because he didn't get credit for it. Well, I was going to say, so... But Fink... almost all the stuff you love about Dirty Harry, if you didn't... Well, you've watched the Milius documentary, you know, which is one of the best documentaries about a director ever made. Yeah. Um, 
he just never got credit for it. But most everything you love about Dirty Harry came from Milius. Sorry, keep going. From, and also, three amigos, had been, three amigos had been in development since the early 80s. He was going to direct it after uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, but turned it down to do E.T. Oh, so my, my it took four were, years to get Landis. Yep. Four years to get Landis. I am sorry, James. I'm not trying to. Which means, by the way, they're still doing better than we are. Yeah, unless true. we pull, unless we get Landis in the next year, boys, we missed our win. <laughs> anyway, uh, no, you're right, uh, Joe. The Finks, from what I've read, at least from what I did research for this, the Finks were story people. They came up with great stories, yeah. but their screenplays tended to be touched up. Um, so that being said, uh, Gene Hackman was uh, online. If they couldn't get Richard Boone, if Richard Boone was going to turn it down, Gene Hackman would have played Fame, the villain, uh, and the McCandles, Michael McCandles, the other uh, son, or one of the other sons, uh, Jeff Bridges was cast and then did not do it. Walked away from it. Really? Mm-hmm. Jeff, busy? Uh, evidently. Uh, the uh, So the story is, uh, and I'm forgetting, was it, um, oh shoot, was it Mitchum? Mitchum was played one of the sons, and he had been in John Wayne films before, but he said while promoting this movie, he goes, well, John's great to work with. The Duke's great to work with. I just don't always agree with his politics. I think he goes too far that way. And he would not speak to him again. Um, real quick, though, also interesting to me, and I would love to have him on the show, and I may try to contact him. We'll get told no, especially since Joe pointed out he didn't do military service. Thanks, Joe. Um, Ethan Wayne. He didn't. I know. I just find, I that, I just find it fascinating. And and by the way, and like I said, Dick Cavett liked him. Oh no! What he, he he Dick Cavett admits he pussied out. I don't have another way of putting it. He just he, chicken shitted out about asking the question. Didn't want to make he, him mad. Ethan Wayne, though, who is John Wayne's, I believe, youngest son, he plays his grandson in this film. He was eleven at the time. He went on. He now runs John Wayne Enterprises, but he went on to actually do stunt work. And he is one of the lead stunt drivers for the film Blues Brothers, all the car crashes, Return of the Living Dead. He's a stuntman for, and his fight. One of his last stuntman uh, works was the film Red State by Kevin Smith. And I was like, what an interesting career that he's had, having nothing to do with his his father per se. But yeah, um, Big Jake is fun. Joe's right. It is not. It is not. The, the searchers or the shooters you're not going to have deep philosophical thoughts at the end of big jake but big jake um which was originally going to be called the biggest ransom uh but they decided to name it after john wayne's character to market it um it's it's just a fun stupid western but it's really enjoyable and matter of fact actually the part that i remember the most is the opening scene to set him up as a character uh, he is watching, they're getting ready to hang a sheep herder. And it's, he's being hung by bandits. And and J- Big Jake, your hero, ladies and gentlemen, isn't going to do anything to stop it. He has this line of dialogue. No, sir, I ain't, I ain't butted in anybody's business since I was 17 years old, at which time it almost got me killed. But he has a dog with him, and the dog starts to growl. The dog's by, name, by the way, is Dog. And he's like, what are you growling at, boy? What's the matter with you? And he looks down, and one of the guys that's going to hang this sheep farmer is kicking a little boy. And then he just says, ah, now why did he have to go and do that? And that's the only reason he saves him, because he's hurting a kid. And that's how they set up this character. 
And hey, then uh, again, like I said, uh, John I Wayne paying, went and made it more. I, I stopped paying attention. Did James just start going into the boy and his dog again? Yeah, basically. I don't know. Somehow or another, he works Ellison into every single show. No, it's it's not. actually you know after a hundred this is like funny five hundred and forty five hundred forty six episodes this is really I've got to where it's almost impressive it's impressive but he does it he finds well a way. you know yeah it's not true I've not mentioned Harlan Ellison once until now because what Harlan Ellison say about you is that you sir he actually did say it and he told me to go fuck myself <laughs> yes yes <laughs> what I was gonna say he did say and, it to me. and that's coming from me and i'm a ghoul yes and you were a ghoul all right is it my turn yeah i don't so, have any more big facts you guys the last two fantastic well i enjoy scenes in both of those movies but i actually am going to pull out a classic i know i'm sorry but it is the what tarantino says best directed film of all time the Best directed film of all. Listen, time. Ballistics X versus Sever is a western. Really quick, I'm saying this to Chad. I was looking back; it was a huge financial. It was a financial success in '69. But what I find fascinating was by the way uh, uh, Steve Martin had the script for Three Amigos in 1980. It was called The Three Caballeros. Oh, the Caballeros! I'd say that, they ripped off Disney. That is ripping off Disney. Chad, I Go find ahead. it fascinating. It critically was not a success at all in fact most people thought it was too tongue-in-cheek now for you people listening you can't see this but for the youtube crowd here's my original one sheet international for the good and the bad and the ugly that hangs over there on my wall starring <laughs> if you can read gentlemen clint eastwood lee van cleef and eli wallach and aldo guffrey and aldo guffrey anyway moving right along Good and bad. Oh, don't and you be smirched. Don't you've you be never smirched, seen the movie, you've heard the music. But well, Eve Morricone, who just I the fact that the trailer, one of the original trailers, if you look, they mislabeled them. Clint Eastwood is the good, but Eli Wallach is the bad, and Lee Van Cleef is the ugly. I mean, if you're into a certain type, it could be. I mean, I was always yeah. into Lee Van Cleef, if you know what I mean. And by that, I mean I was into Eli Wallach. Whew. Boys, this movie's almost three hours long and it's it is. directed the hell out of. Yes, it is. Blondie. It has close-ups. It has wides. It is all over the place, and it was made by an Italian named Sergio Leone. And yep. man was a visual genius the man was a visual genius mm -hmm. i i can't say enough about how much fun this movie is even at three hours and by the way i oh, just want yeah. to point out i want to point out too that's another one of those movies again it, and it's it's really it's really strong in the western genre where any people the people cast in that movie would not be casting it today no, no, because none of them are, they're all, even Clint Eastwood's yeah. not a good looking guy. No. And he's especially not a good looking guy. And he's not a good guy in it either. No. In fact, back no. to how movies starting out with hanging. Matthew was, McConaughey would have been in the good, the bad, the ugly if it was made today. Yeah, probably. Oh, that's pretty good, actually. I'd probably, I'd, I'd <laughs> sign that deal. I would sign that deal. I was watching The Gentleman last night going, boy, that son of a bitch sure is good looking. You know, he He's not decreasing with time. I, I'm not gay, but it's McConaughey. He's a good-looking guy. But you think he'll pull a Sean Connery? I don't know. He's. I hope. 
I hope he keeps I hope he keeps putting out there. But anyway, let's let's move on. It starts out with a hanging, right, James? Uh, it, They're making I money. That scene. Yeah. They're making money by yeah. shooting so basically, each other down, yep. taking each other in for the bounty, and then shooting the rope as they get along. These yeah. are sons of bitches. These are not good people. No. And Next time I, mean, I might miss. This is the third time that this had happened. <clears throat> so what you don't remember is that Clint Eastwood really didn't become a star until he's almost 40 years old. He's 36, 37 years old by the right. time he made a fistful of dollars. He was in wagon train and was fired. There's a famous quote that he and Burt Reynolds were both in wagon train and Burt Reynolds was, they were both fired. They fired Clint Eastwood according to Burt Reynolds. Cause he said, some bitch is too ugly. And they fired Burt Reynolds cause he couldn't act. And Burt Reynolds says he looked at Eastwood and said, well, I'm going to go take fucking acting classes. What are you going to do? <laughs> oh, glad you liked that story. I read Burt Reynolds autobiography. So, that's a good tale. He was almost 40 by the time he did. He had to go to Spain to make these movies, or Italy. They're, I was going to uh, say They're Spain? called spaghetti westerns. They were actually shot, a lot of it was shot in Spain. And he didn't know. And when he read, and if you ask Eastwood, he says, when he looked at it, he says, oh, well, this is just a ripoff of Mojimbo, right? Yeah. They were just ripping off the Japanese. <clears throat> And that's what, uh, for a, a fistful of dollars, and they made a sequel that has Lee Van Cleef for a few dollars more. And really what you should do is put all three of those movies and maybe a little bit of Once Upon a Time in the West, which is also a fantastic film. I just not a, I'm actually not a huge Charles Bronson fan. That's one thing that kind of kills me about no, that movie all the time. And, and uh, to me, it's not Charles Bronson per se. It's that movie is heavier. I mean, it's heavier, it's darker, and it has a great sequel. But anyway. I could watch the good and the bad, and the ugly, if it's on. That ending of the final shootout of the three of them is perfect. Well, it's I, cinema perfection. And, and it like takes you said, forever. It builds. It builds. And I don't give a shit that it takes forever because you are in the hands of someone who is an auteur, who's an artist, and he is bringing you home. And it does bring you home. Two types of people in this world, Joe Lewis. Those with guns. And those, those who dig. Uh, but you mentioned it's directed the hell out of it. One of my favorite parts of that film, just because it works so well visually, is when, yes, Chad, we'll get to you, when Eli Wallach and, and Clint Eastwood, and they see the people approaching, and they're, they, they think they're on one side of the battle because of the color of their uniforms. And of course, Eli Wallach's character erroneously starts cheering on that side. But yep. when they get closer, they realize it's the dirt and crud and all that stuff. And they are not on that side. And that it scene, takes place during the Civil War and they're looking for gold. And it's basically a MacGuffin. See previous episodes. Yeah. But it works so well. That scene, every time I see it, I'm like, man, that is, it, like you said, for Library, it's directed the hell out of. Because you completely buy that, yeah, they do look that way, and then they get close, and you're like, oh, crap. Eli Wallach, who was a trained – he's from the actor studio. Yes. What was the line you all just said? Two types of people in this world, those with guns and those who dig. Would we screw and up? I'm going to say bullshit. There has to be a third, the one who fills in the hole. 
Well, the, you make the person who digged it do that, Chad. You ain't but the one who digged people. it is the oh, one that they're digging look, the hole. I think, by the way, look, digged it, look. James. I could get the ja- Chad just reiterated it, but digged it, Professor. What? Listen, listen, listen. No, listen. I'm tired I think of it's him. called dig dug. Listen, I'm tired of him with dug. his. I'm tired of him with his. I got belt money and can afford to hire two people: one to dig the hole, one to fill it. The person you who digged not. is going to be the one in the hole. They you can't know they're digging up the gold. That Real line is bullshit. You would not know Clint Eastwood if it was not for Sergio Leone. Later on, I'm Joe, admit that line is bullshit. I don't give a shit. <laughs> no, no, Later crazy. on, he gave credit to two directors for him. One's Don Siegel, the other is Sergio Leone. Leone yeah. Don Siegel, by the way, directed Dirty Harry. And Don Siegel was one of the best B-movie directors to ever come out of Hollywood. He was so good at making B-pictures. He directed the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. He was so good at making it that they kept sticking him there because he was so damn good and so efficient. It took him forever to make it over to A-pictures when those were things. Now they're all now they're all shit just with A-budgets. As John Back to a John Landis, that's all Hollywood makes is B-pictures with A-budgets. Right. So... Just letting you know, I, I man, I, this I would have loved the history. My third is going to be a toss up between what your all's third is. I just love my third. Them. My third is not going to be either one of your picks. But no, um, you know, I would like a history of just the 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 music that. Oh yeah, any more currently? Yeah, I, but but by the way, and, and that was the entire thing, of course. And it's um, been sampled so much. The good, the bad, yeah. and the ugly gets folded in with. Those other two, the uh, Fistful of Dollars, as the Man with No Name trilogy. The Man with No uh, Name trilogy. And all of them are just watchable. I can put them on and watch them. They're just. Yep. yep. They gave him, I mean, they gave right Clint Eastwood his career as far as a star. Now, Clint Eastwood had been a working actor for many, many years. He made a living yeah, yeah. being an actor. But as far as being what you know, Clint Mostly Eastwood. Mostly in TV, right? Mostly in TV and B pictures. science fiction horror pictures but if you know clint eastwood it's because of sergio leone and the good and the bad and the ugly out of those three films was the biggest and the best chad okay so again your third i had a lot again i have a list of of 16 actually 17 and it was hard for me to pick which ones to talk about it really was i struggled um but I wanted to do a list of where Westerns can fit into every genre and movies that I think are amazing. So I covered the serious Western. I covered a comedy. And now I'm going to cover my other love animation, Rango. It was on my honorable mention list. I was wondering if you'd do it. You know what? Yeah, it's pretty damn good. Even though it's a ripoff of many other plots. Yeah, it's it's, it's an homage. You could have done a Bug's Life. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, Bugs likes the Magnificent Seven, which is yeah. Seven Samurai. But keep going. Yeah, which is Seven Samurai. Yeah, but um, Rango, 2011, directed by Gore Verbinski. You know, Gore Verbinski, of course, from Pirates of the Caribbean. The Ring. That is the best the... movie. It's that or The Weatherman. I love The Weatherman. Uh, that's what I was getting ready to give Weatherman's his second best film. Yeah, and it's it's hard between that. I also and Rango. like Mouse Hunt. Mouse Hunt's good too, but but Weatherman, uh, you know, like I said, but again, Nicolas Cage amazing but yep. no uh rango written by john logan who uh by the way do you know what john logan wrote james yeah he wrote star trek nemesis one of the worst star trek films ever made yep and gladiator 
But yep. he also wrote Gladiator, Hugo, Skyfall, and uh, Alien Covenant. Um, Can't all be winners. And I'm again, the voice cast is is too long to re- mention, but Johnny Depp, Isla Fisher, Abigail Breslin, Ned Beatty, and Bill Nye, just to name a few. Yep. Um, the one science guy. No. No. I know I did that on for because that's a that's the go to joke every time. I know, and you didn't have to go to it. But you did. Well, I didn't want people to be confused. I don't know why. I haven't really drank that much this week. Sorry if you hear me pouring. <laughs> I've just got into the basil. Keep going. But no, uh, the, voice the, act, bad and the, ugly. the cool thing about this one is, you know, when most animated films, the actors are in a sound studio by themselves reading their lines. Oh, it wasn't made that way. No, Gore Verbinski put all the actors on a stage. Cool and had them uh, read the lines and actually allow for improvisation. That has one of my favorite Johnny Depp lines of all time. James knows exactly what it is. James, you know what it is? I'm pretty sure I do. I'm pretty sure I, I will do. shoot the ugly off your face. Is <laughs> <laughs> yeah. one of my favorite lines. Maybe one of my favorite lines of film history. I mean, there's so many, but it's one of my favorite Johnny Depp lines. I and there, the there are so many face. great quotes in Rango. And, and, you know, the the other thing about Ringo, and Joe mentioned this at the beginning, it is beautiful. Yeah. Or it is some of the most beautiful, breathtaking How animation. Does it I haven't watched it in a few years. How's it look? How's it? Have you seen it lately? Yeah, I watched it last year. How does it hold up? Is it, it still, still holds up. Oh. I still it's, love it. It is photorealistic. Yeah, and the scene where the 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 girl the, 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 the little girl holds up those two guns, and you see that just all the the face – it's it's stunning and i mean everything about the movie is beautiful and uh one thing i didn't realize uh bill nye's a favorite character uh character is named rattlesnake jake modeled after lee van cleef oh yeah yeah uh so yeah and it is an homage it's not an original script it's 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 an original take on it it's original take on several different other westerns but honestly a lot of western movies are the same story told in a different way anyway so it's not like it's anything different for the times but if you don't know what Ringo is and and most of us do know this uh it's about it's about a chameleon who's you know stuck in a in a in a in a jar basically gone crazy from solitary confinement and he gets dumped by accident and ends up in this town where he's mistaken for a hero and he really doesn't know how to do anything other than pretend to be an actor and Johnny Depp is fantastic as him Johnny Depp is fantastic. Um, just, I can't, I don't want to talk, talk about too much because we've been talking a lot, but it, it, it movie, is a podcast though. No, no. But, <laughs> so instead, it's going to do the dance story, Chad. But, I, mean, I mean, we just, tried putting up an made, hour and a half of silence that one time and it just didn't go over <laughs> with the audience. I know I shouldn't have dropped that glass at right in the middle of the hour, about minute 45. Minute 45 of fuck this, I'm bored. <laughs> uh, Ringo, man. Hand me that weed. I didn't realize it was the second. I didn't realize it was the second animated feature for Nickelodeon. I didn't know it was the second one. Uh, computer, I think it's computer animated. Or anyway, it was one. It was one of the very first movies released by Nickelodeon Studios. And they were terrified of it because it was so, it, it got a lot of bad um, initial runs because people, it wasn't kid, it wasn't necessarily considered kid friendly. I don't know how he got it through other than this is the director of Pirates of the Caribbean. We're going to let him do it. Yeah. 
Uh, and that's honestly, I think he was riding high on the Pirates of the Caribbean. And that train. movie was really expensive. I bet it never made back all of its money. I'd have to look. I, I will. That I don't will be think my it ex- was a dud, Chad. But I don't think that was. I don't a, think it was a dud. It was a modest success. At best, yeah. Um, but no, if it just watch Rango for and anything, don't talk about it anymore. And it, that's why I had to bring it up. I mean, it's only nine years old at this point, and I feel like it's being forgotten in terms of animated movies because everybody thinks of Pixar and Disney movies. It's hard and, not to at a billion dollars a film. I know, and they're the only ones that are getting and DreamWorks now. But Nickelodeon at one point was making good feature films, and this uh, is one that just came out of the blue. Nobody expected this thing in 2011, and I think I saw it in the theater with you guys. I'm sure you, know, you did. I I remember. I I, I remember. I walked in and saw this. I'm like, well, it's a kids movie. It should be interesting. And I was like, what the hell is this? And it's it. It just blew my mind. So that's why I had to bring up Rango. Out of all the <laughs> I'm Western. I'm laughing about how shoot the You run a lot of bullets. That's the first time I've laughed uh, in the last hour. You're Thanks, welcome. guys. Thanks, dropping the ball. <laughs> uh, this was a comedy show. Well, James, go. What's your next pick? Uh, you know, I wanted to show that Westerns don't have to be set in, in the American West. And there's a film, it is my dark pick. It is my, it is, it is a heavy movie. Because when you think about Westerns and you think about the name John, you go John Wayne. The other option is to go with the second best name, John, uh, um, known best name for Johns and Western, John Hurt. Uh, so if you've never seen... This, this film was written by Nick. You do another one. This film was written by Nick Cave of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, the musician. It's not the first film he's been a screenwriter for by any means, but it's called The Proposition. It stars Guy Pierce, Ray Winstone, Danny Houston, John Hurt, David Wenham, and Emily Watson. Uh, and basically, the plot to this is the very beginning of the film, there's a shootout. You come in at the very middle of the shootout, they capture Guy Pierce. And, and I'm blanking on who plays his younger brother. And they capture them. They want, though, the elder brother. And they have split up before the movie ever starts. Good news is this is the, one, the first time we actually know what James is talking about. Yeah. Um, this, so they, they break off um, and they basically keep the younger brother. They tell Guy Pierce's character, listen, if you can give us the older brother, we'll let, the, uh, we'll let your little brother go for it. We'll let y'all walk away but you have to kill your older brother. And that's sort of the film. He goes off to find his older brother to kill him because the younger brother is the most innocent of them all, obviously. Now, throughout this film, everything goes bad. Absolutely bad. John Hurt plays a great, uh, Jalen Lamb is the name of the character he plays. He is a bounty hunter that's sent to find them by this family. Um, Emily Watson plays this great role where she finds out. So the, the, the last, the shootout they were involved in kills a family and she is friends of the mother and the family. And she was pregnant when she was killed. Real quick. Have you said the title yet? No. Oh, I'm sorry. The proposition proposition because the proposition is he has to kill his brother. I was like, you're going into the plot, James and naming the actors. You haven't said the title yet. Uh, well, I thought we should bring up an Australian film, though, since we are partnering with Zephram Cochran. Uh, anyway, so as we um, as we look at this, 
she wants vengeance at one point. And so they literally tied the younger brother and they beat him. And I'll be honest with you. I think I'm with Joe. We thought you were going to bring up some, uh, we thought you were going to bring up another one and I'm shocked that you didn't. I am it's, so shocked that you didn't bring up a Western that I, that, I, that may I, have been remade by a guy named Tarantino, but it wasn't really a remake. Oh, see, yeah, I, well, think, I brought it up before and I didn't want to, I wanted to do I something. didn't think he was going to bring that one up. I thought it was going to be something else. I just, I, did I mention that I have uh, about 30 more films, but I just, but well, I wanted to bring do up a second episode. I don't even want to do honorable mentions. Let's just do a whole other. Yeah. Episode. We're doing a whole other episode. Because but anyway, that this film, is bleak i mean it there is no you'll literally if you can walk, watch this film because again maybe there's some maybe it says something about me um none of the characters are overly redeemable but at the same time what happens to them is absolutely terrible they and what i love about this movie is it actually probably is the film that gets the old west the most correct there are flies buzzing all around these people because they're dirty they're filthy. They've been traveling in the sun. Dirty, dirty boys. Um, but there's also, and, and so because it's actually set in Australia, set in the, dirty boys. the west of Australia, effectively, you have Aborigines instead of Native Americans. So they're rounding these people Are you up talking about Quigley Down Under? But of course, if you're not, you're really not talking about anything. If you've Which, never by the seen. Way, Quigley Down Under is a really good Western. Have you all seen the proposition, though? Yes. I had seen it years ago, but I can't remember much about it. Uh, watch it again. I seriously, because it 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 had a big impact on me years oh, yes, ago. I, but I, I haven't re- seen it in years. I, it's on Amazon Prime right now. You can watch it for free. If, well, if you have Amazon Prime, I do. Um, but it is if you I can worry watch about it. Bezos and making sure that he's yeah. I worry about lifestyle. Thirty five million or thirty five billion. That's befitting that man. Um, it is a dark, dark film though, and and everything does go wrong. Everything like the. Uh, something about this film just really works on me because effectively it's one of the for lack of a better term it's it's a john carpenter apocalypse movie yeah it is dark it is bleak and nobody gets out the way they went in there is no hero like you hope like oh is he going to kill his brother and and again there is there's there's no women that get save there's no it is a bleak dark western but if you've never seen the proposition again written by nick seed it was directed by but his name in my notes directed by john hillcoat who directed music videos for johnny cash debesh mode nick cave maroon yep. five he also directed an episode of black mirror didn't he direct so he, the road as well yeah i'm sorry and the road you're right he directed uh cormac mccarthy's the road Wrote. his direction is pretty the only good. other movie that depressed me more than the homesman uh it it is well road has a just a blank <laughs> uh read the, the book road, does the novel have the same ending uh there's effectively uh, the way the the road not You've never book seen the ends, road the movie no i've never seen the movie because i love <sighs> the book too much well he i mean of course he dies but he by the way uh, the kid moves on with another family you don't know. Well, the way it ends, he gets caught by a man. There's a man that comes up and he looks at the man and goes, are you a good guy? And he goes, yeah, okay. And that's how it ends. You don't know if that guy's going to eat him, beat him, kill him. No, it's a little bit more upbeat than Chad. It, it ends. That guy, it's Guy Pierce. Yeah, no, it's. And it, and he has other kids as a family. No, that is not the way the book. The book ends with him being caught. Basically, his dad has died. And they cut out the baby sequence. I know that's also. Oh yeah, yeah. No, the the book is way bleaker. It's Cormac McCarthy, of course it is. When when your upbeat work is Sunshine Limited, 
Uh, <laughs> um, you got, this is you got an a, excuse for two great actors to choose. Oh three. man! And that, by the way, I can watch. That's another one I can watch. Not, but anyway, you really should see the proposition if you haven't seen. If you like westerns, but it is. If you want, if you want a singing cowboy film, this is not the film. For it's you. it's a very slow movie, right, James? It is slow. Well, and it gets it takes a while to get into because it jumps back and forth. And what right. I think is really interesting is it almost parallels Guy Pierce and Ray Winstone is the authority figure in the yeah. beginning, and he and what's funny is he does have a moral compass. It's not a strong one, but not to give anything away, when they decide to beat the younger brother because basically his wife comes out and goes i want vengeance i want all this stuff and there is a representative of the territory basically representing civilization he comes in a suit he's well dressed and he comes in and he says she's right we need to punish him and said use him as an example so this kid is about 14 or so 13 14 they tie him to the stocks and they give him 100 lashes and the townspeople get bored because they're beating him and literally they get to 38 and they count one to, and you see blood and all that stuff. And finally, um, he should have Ray, died at 20 or 30. Of well, if you remember the film, it doesn't end well for him, Joe. Uh, he, uh, but Guy Pierce, or I'm sorry, Ray Winstone's character as kind of the authority figure finally goes over at like 40, just grabs the, the cat of nine tails thing and shoves it and gets blood all over the guy's suit. And the guy says, you, You're not capable of doing this job anymore and fires him. And by the way, this is set at Christmas. <laughs> Um, and and it is a bleak, bleak scene because his wife, who wanted this or thought she wanted it, is standing there watching, and she ends up passing out. She can't take that she caused this to happen to this child. Um, but spoiler, Joe is right. He uh, he is still lot alive when they cut him down, but it does not end well. For yeah, him. I can't live through it. All right, you ready? But it, it is it is a bleak, bleak western. You mentioned it's it not, might be dark. Well, I was gonna say, but I wanted to bring it up because. It proves are you that, saying it's sad? It proves that you don't have to have, be set in America to have an American to have a Western. I agree with it's that. Definitely a Western. It's an Australian Western, and it is. Uh, I would put it up there right with Tarantino's uh, *Hateful Eight in some ways. That these characters are suspicious and doubtful, and and it is. It doesn't have so many quotable lines. But it is. You got is, me talking about politics. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to talk about politics. It does not have that scene. There oh, is no God. moment of. You got there, me talking about politics. There is no moment of mirth in this film. All right. It is a great film. See the proposition. Let me go through my last one. One of you all already mentioned it earlier. I have been beating the shit out of myself for the last 45 minutes going, you can't do this when you got to do the other one. You can't do this when you got to do the other one because I can't. And I, and this often happens on the show. You all sometimes, oftentimes, go for more obscure ones than me. But I swear, I'm picking my favorite ones. These really are the. Sh so this uh, one. No, that's what I did. I mean, that's why Big Jake made the cut because I can watch it. So I, I agree. This one, yeah, but minor classic. No, I'm joking. But oh, whatever. This one, I didn't get as a kid. I enjoyed it, but I watched it in my 30s, and it floored me. It floored me. And I'll tell you, I don't know that there's an, I'm sure somebody will make, and there are other Westerns. I mean, they made the Hateful Eight and other ones, but I don't, I've yet to see a Western at this level after this time. It was written by a guy named David Webb Peoples. 
He actually wrote the script. I didn't realize that he wrote it in the 70s. Now, you may know him as the co-writer of Blade Runner. He was the one who they hired after they finally fired Hampton Fancher to finish the screenplay. But he originally wrote the script, and here was the original title of it. I am so sorry. Give me a second. It's something of... The, Don't give him a second. Give him a second. Give me a second. Give me a second. Uh, damn it. I actually totally just lost my spot. I am so sorry about it. He wrote it in the 70s, and he never really could sell it. And he finally did sell it with another couple of movies that he also wrote. One would be Soldier Chad. Soldier didn't get made when he wrote it originally to many, many years later. 12 Monkeys is another movie that he wrote. We're talking about The Unforgiven. Unforgiven is one of those Westerns that says about everything there is to say about Westerns. Yep. What are you smiling about, James? You know, it's, uh, I, it just th- this came close to being on my list. You know what made it not make my list? What? My dad. He didn't. He it didn't is like not. It. It's not a western in the sense of anybody who would enjoy westerns. Well, so you saying, didn't like it as a kid. When I you first I liked it, Chad, but I didn't get it. I don't okay. think I had the emotional I, intelligence to get. Have you watched it in the last ten years as an yes. old man? Yes, my my dad's it did not problem for me until I was in my late twenties, early thirties, and then I realized, oh shit, no, that it some the whole movie is summed up in that one line. Deserves got nothing to do with it. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Has nothing to do with what you deserve. People die of shit all the time. Good people who just happen to be at the wrong place at the wrong time or happen to get cancer or happen to get COVID-19 people who will never get to realize this dream, that dream and the other dream. And this is what it means to me. This is what the unforgiven means to me or unforgiven. I, sh- I keep putting the in front of it. Yeah. I don't know why you keep putting the, well, I just, because the people do Kroger's, I don't know. It's just one of those things. So you have the Walmart. Means to me is that things happen to you. Life happens to you and you don't get to pick certain things that, that it, that does. And you never get to live that life. And that's what Unforgiven is to me. And it is yeah. so much. It's basically, it's a postmodern Western. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's American year... revisionist Western, which is also can be called an, by the way, anti-Western or post-Western, postmodern Western. See, 13 it's, year old, 13 year old me was floored by this movie. I enjoyed it, but I, yeah. did you 13 year old get it? I did. Yeah. Everything I, I just said, I mean, maybe yep. you were smarter than me. No, well, I, I think that's why my dad had a problem with it was that dad literally from the beginning of the film, he was like, it's just not solid. And by that, my dad's logic was he's not going out on a heroic quest. No, he's, he's going not. out to murder. For well, and, and, and as dad literally, because he didn't want me to see it because it was rated R if I remember correctly. So when it first came out, my dad went, uh, he didn't go to see it. We didn't go to movie theaters, but as soon as it came out on VHS, he actually told my mother, will you see if you can rent that for us tonight? And he wouldn't let me see it. And I said, well, Dad, what's it, wh- how, how is it? And he goes, I don't, didn't really like it. He said, in the beginning, the pigs are starving. <laughs> I, and that was literally, that was my dad's intro to the review to show that, you know, this is not, he's not being a hero. He doesn't have a choice. And that's not what my dad wanted in a Western. Now, I'm not saying it's not a great movie. But I'm just saying, I think it's an interesting thing because as Joe said, it's a, it's a process of time. When did my dad grow up? My dad was born in the 1940s. He grew up in the 50s, Hopalong Cassidy and all that stuff. Yeah. By the time you get to, and even the, like, this is the same man that was like, okay, yeah, no, you can watch High Plains Drifter. 
It's a postmodern Western. Pathlane's director by the guy who. And by the way, who did all the production design? The same people who did High Plains Drifter, by the way. So if you, a lot of people, Mal Paso is Clint Eastwood's company. And some of the same people who have been working for him have been working for him for 30 or 40 years. I was looking at this. Most of the people who made his earlier Westerns, whether, and by the way, we'll talk about one, one of them is one of the most quotable Westerns of all time. And it was, it's number five or six of shit that I want to talk about tonight. But I'm yeah. trying to mention what I think is important to cinema. My yeah. three I, were this is cinema, and Unforgiven is, and I don't think I understood it, and I don't think it floored me till later. It and there's not a flawed performance in it. No, and then uh, you Gene know, like Hackman won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. Mm-hmm. Clint Eastwood won for Best Director. David Peoples, by the way, did not win Best Screenplay. FYI, I was looking that up. I can't imagine it. The Who original won? was the William Money Killings. That was the original title. God forbid. Glad <laughs> they changed it to Unforgiven ten, almost 20 years later. Who did win for Best Screenplay that year? I don't know. What okay. year did it come out? I'll look it up real quick. 1992. 1992. Um, no, it was uh, – yeah, no, I mean, the movie itself, when I was young, the – it is the antithesis of what I would not ever sit through to watch. It's slow. It is. It's very slow. There's none. It's all, it's all performance-based. And at that time, that is not what I watched. But there must have been – it must have came in the right time for me because that – and, you know, let's be honest, those years were not the best for me. Um, so – I just was floored by everything about it. The messages that just everything about that movie just hit me. And it made me want to go out and seek more Westerns. Which it I lost best screenplay that year went to a film called Thelma and Louise. Uh, mm, I mean, Thelma and Louise is, is a, I, but I don't think it's unforgiven. So no, it's not. what I was going to say, it's, it you, know, they, you look at it one way, that could be a Western too, Thelma and Louise. If you look at it a specific way. Well, and it gave us Brad Dura. Brad Dura. Brad Pitt. You- Brad Pitt. Uh, anyway, back to what I was saying. It also talked about one other subject, and this is not about Westerns. This is the reason why we're talking about, and, and this to me, I, I just gave you the 50s, 60s, and 90s. I didn't have anything for the 80s. I apologize. But let's be honest. The 80s were all about cocaine and rape. That's all yeah. I remember. We How had three you? amigos. That and Ghostbusters, cocaine and rape. Woo! We're going to make some money. Damn DPA which was brought about by Nixon, but God forbid anybody Google that. Sin. It talks about sin in the sense that I think I understood it once again in my 20s and 30s more than I did as a child of what is a sin, a sin that you can't wash away. What is a mortal sin? And not necessarily even in a religious, but in a just a fundamental good person type of decision-making what is something that you could do that you can never wash away? And how does that affect you for the rest of your life? Bill Money um, is a poor farmer who used to be a bad guy who drank a lot. He was an alcoholic. This what is, is it, James? Quick, real quick. I'm sorry. I looked up the 1992, but of course it was released in 92. So it would have been 93. I'm sorry. It actually lost out best screenplay that year went to the crying game. Oh man, really? That's a good twist. <laughs> it's a good twist, man. Uh, it wasn't. But not- the twist is. Oh. It's a good so twist. It was nominated. It was nominated, but the ones that went up, 
for that year for screenplay went against it. Um, most of these we wouldn't know anymore. The Crying Game we still know because, well, Crying yeah. Game. But the other ones were Husbands and Wives, Woody Allen. Yeah. Uh, Lorenzo's Oil, which nobody remembers except I still remember the ad. George, but George Miller, the yep. fantastic George Miller. Passion Fish was the other one. I you don't all remember Passion Fish. I don't I remember Passion But about sin and what is that and what does that mean? He, he was a bad man. Found a woman, sobered him up, had children. She died tragically because life happens and it's just a bitch. Life is a bitch. And then he's basically a poor pig farmer. He needs some money. An asshole kid comes up and goes, listen, there are some prostitutes who will pay us to kill the guys that raped and, or, and cut up this one lady. You want to do it? Sure. He goes and gets one of his ex-people who used to kill with him. Now, either one of them want to do it. There was no crazy. rape, by the way. Huh? There was no rape. She got cut because she, oh, laughed, yeah, she laughed at his little penis. His little dick, yeah. Well, I'm going to call it rape. Anyway, moving wrong along. It was a mental one. It was a mental rape. So we get there, and that's the plot. And why do you do for money? What won't you do? And what will you do if you're drinking? What if you have – I mean, there's just tons of layers to this movie. Layers upon layers. Layers upon layers. Yeah. So I – I'm going to beat the shit out of myself. I'm still arguing with myself about my fourth pick, which will now be my fourth pick. And but, did you, I mean, there's no, there's no doubt, but uh, watching it as an older kid, older person. I've already, already picked a movie from the 60s. Watching it as an older person. Do you, I know Gene Hackman's a bad guy. But he's not. He's not, right? He, he has. He is a bad guy. He's the villain of the movie, but he is not a bad guy. He is flawed. He has anger issues. But, but he he control over. He it. has good intention. He's he's trying to control a town that is already living in chaos in the old west. He's doing the best that he can, but he's flawed and makes terrible decisions. Plays a character named Little Bill. Right. He, so I'm I'm not the only one who thinks that. Right. He's just a flawed. He's, not, he's, a, he's flawed a flawed guy, but he's flawed. more flawed than Bill Money than William Money. Right. In fact, he's nowhere near as worse. It, it, he even says the comment to him, "You're the guy who killed women and children." He goes, yeah, that'd be me. Mm -hmm. The hero of the movie is a villain. Right. And not an anti-hero. He's a villain. He is a horrible person who happens to be good at killing folks. And if he drinks, he can consciously let himself go to be able to do it. Right. No, it, that's all true. But yeah, no, uh, as a kid, though, when I watched it, that was the one thing I got wrong is that I thought Gene Hackman was just the most horrible human being. And I'm, you know, because ever. He, because he kills, because he but kills he Morgan killed, Freeman. Yeah, in, in, a, in a very terrible way. But, you know, as, a, as an adult, I watched it. I'm like, I have completely viewed this character because wrong. He, it, right? And he still, is that the way you probably should do it? No, not with modern justice. But if you're trying to keep bounty hunters coming from just haphazardly killing folks in your town, you probably yeah. would shoot one of them and put it out front and say, this is what happens to people who come in who, who are assigned. Right, yeah, you have, it's the old West, things work differently. They all, you know, I, I kind of viewed it as he was, he was literally a man who was trying to build himself a home and he couldn't even do that correctly. Right. It was just, he was just flawed and his 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 good intentions took him down dark roads but i mean if you read a lot of history he's not even anywhere near as bad as oh i know people that we worship for 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 these heroic attributes who who never really possessed them no i agree with you yeah 100 percent. 
So when we start talking about Westerns, back to representing, I tried to hit 50. See Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, there's a perfect example. Or yeah. all of our founding fathers for that matter. But Thomas Jefferson is probably the one who's – anyway. Most vile. Most vile. 50s, 60s, 90s of, of, of importance of how it changed. Well, yeah. gentlemen, anything else to say? No, no, I'm glad I mean, you all didn't I, pick my uh, second favorite Western I, of all time because I'm going to start. That was not a bad, not that I ended well, not that I ended well, but I think that was a good way to end. No, well, I was going to say, because I, I think what we've realized is, because I'm sitting here and like I said, I picked the ones that resonated for me from memory. But I, I think that we definitely have to do another episode because there's If so I many. did memory, James, I would have picked my fourth. Well, I was about to say, and that's I, so almost, I did memory basically with the first two, but Unforgiven is just – I don't ever put Unforgiven on just to watch for – well, I haven't watched it in a couple of years, to be honest about it. I still like – like I said, last every time I watch it now, it still – I shouldn't say it shakes me. It's still a movie, but it resonates so deeply because I just understand so much more of how we're all shades of gray, maybe 50 – is it too uh, late? Too, yeah, too, yeah. Too soon? Too, soon, too late? Hey, take your hat off. Turn to the right. I'm not after the shit wall. you said. Nope. Not going to do yep. it. Nope. Nope. Bashing the wall. Well, no, no. I, but but so we I, are so many. There's so many layers of gray to each and every one of us, and it's just not black and white, which would be West Actually, West you know what? Wait. Move that capacity. Move that Trek, uh, Star Trek Two poster. We don't want to damage that. Then hit your head in the wall. <laughs> Yeah, that's 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 signed by several people who are no longer. Li- now they're all living. They're all living. We're good. You, you got you got Ricardo Montalban, right? Fuck you, Chad. Mm. I got an eight by ten Montalban. I didn't get to him for my poster though. Yeah. You know, but I no, I I think that that and so again, you know, I picked an Australian film, but I think that as no, I said I, earlier, and I think the, the Western. Are, I gotta tell you, there are a adaptable. lot of great. There are great a lot of. There's a lot of great uh, Australian westerns. We could do a whole episode on the good Australian westerns. Lightning Jack. We could do a whole episode of great <laughs> Australian westerns and never mention. <laughs> oh, but no. So hold on, real quick. Bite me, Glenn. Was on the other day, by the way. What now? Crocodile Dundee 2 was on the other day. It came on right after Police Academy. That was a hell of a night. Huh. Uh, Anyway. I didn't watch Crocodile Dundee Part 2, just the opening. But, no, so, anyway, I I think the (laughs) – like I said, we'll have to revisit this because I've had had more fun with this than I thought I was going to have, not that I dreaded it. What? You enjoyed this more than the music of 60s TV? Did most we do of mine. about the music of sixties. No, but we did music of TV, and most of mine was from the sixties and seventies. You, your love of Surfside Six, I tell you. Oh, who lives there? Young bachelors. Uh, anyway, I don't Anybody, Surfside Kooky, Surfside Kooky, Kooky, give me. me. <clears throat> All right, guys, hey, baby, bonehead. I hope you've enjoyed our fairly impassioned conversation about westerns. Tune in to part two, where it's just mostly going to be fart jokes and, and talking about lassos. <laughs> Basically, thank you so much. Bonehead Weekly. Oh, did I tell you to subscribe?